Eanes is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shap Speaker Series. This week, Afshan Khan, MD from www.austinfamilypsychiatry.com, shares the science to overcoming performance anxiety. Um, went to med school in India, uh, went to England and did all my psychiatry training there, moved here, did some research at UC Davis, and then I kind of jumped around and did my internship in Maine, then UT Southwestern for adult psychiatry residency and UT Southwestern for child psychiatry uh, residency. Been graduated six years now from that program and have done both outpatient and inpatient. I was the child director for Austin inpatient uh, standalone facility for 40 bedded uh, child. And uh, I have my own practice down at Austin Family Psychiatry on Big Caves. Uh, I partner with the Institute and I'm based there. We make whole habitat um, for now. I tend to see a lot of our population. My girls are in uh, Hill Country and Bridgepoint. So that's my way of kind of, and I'm also board of director for uh, alumni for my med school. Um, and I've, this is part of that series that I do at different schools. Uh, the goal is really to bring in more insight, insight into mental illness. Uh, I don't know if I can challenge the stigma, but my attempt at really trying to educate folks so we can kind of bring in a little more understanding about this. Physician, somebody's coughing at home, and the mom's like, 
I was coughing and I gave my child a cough. We never talk about anxiety in that same way. Uh, and I, you know, it's sort of that moment when I really have to that insight and I feel like, do you ever realize that you say, come on, get in the car, you're rushing. I do that with my kids all the time. And my daughters have to sort of say, we don't have to get anywhere. And I'm like, I have to stop myself because I've really kind of got to that mode that I'm like, let's get in the car. For me, anxiety is, I like to function on that anxiety. It kind of gets me productive in some ways. For somebody else, it's going to be different. I cough with a little more stridor and somebody else coughs with a lot more runny nose. So we all carry that anxiety in different ways. So if a family member comes in and brings a kid and says, my kid is anxious, I often say, let's talk about everybody else's anxiety <laughs> has. And it's so often you see that um, it's part of um, where it's coming from. Mom has it, dad has it, dad has a high-functioning job, he's traveling a lot, he's waking up middle of night to kind of go to travel and do things. But end up, and the kids presenting with anxiety. They forget to see the whole picture. And I think that's another part of you know, understanding where the anxiety is coming from. The other part is genetic component. Um, 20 years before, we didn't talk about depression, we didn't talk about anxiety, we didn't talk about all of these things. So there's a huge component among all of us that we've been raised by parents who didn't understand depression, didn't understand anxiety, we didn't get treatment for it. So, and if you carry the gene, and again, like I sit in my office and talk to people, is we're happy to talk about a diabetes. We're happy to talk about a hypertension, but we're so great to talk about depression and anxiety because it's it's not allowed. In. And I think because for long we haven't understood under it under the medical illness banner. And I think that that understanding of anxiety in itself is so important to know that anxiety is just like diabetes and hypertension. Your family has it, you've got a 25% of chance of one family member has it, people have a mood disorder of some kind. So you have it, it's just something you're made of, and you just have to know how to manage it. Um, and I think that sort of where it comes from. So there's an evolutionary component that is normal, there's a genetic component to it, and then really the family members sort of figuring out what is coming about it, uh, or how do we kind of take care of those things. It's such a big thing. And like I said, um, dad's traveling, his lack of sleep, he's going to come, he's going to snap, and that snapping is going to take him to something else, and the child's going to perceive it, and that's really anxiety. There's so much of all of this that uh, plays a role. But then, how do you define, some of it is okay to be anxious, right? Like I said, anxiety is okay. Anxiety is a normal component of being angry, being sad or something. And that, that definition is so hard to kind of put a point at, you have an exam, you can be anxious. But does that anxiety cause dysfunctionality? And that's when I define or I kind of come in to say, are we getting to the point that it's keeping everybody at home anxious? That would be dysfunctional. Is it getting to the point that's affecting your sleep? Uh, you're not sleeping. Uh, it's affecting your appetite, uh, it's affecting your attention concentration. Because some amount of anxiety is okay because it produces this endorphin kind of reaction and the physiological adrenaline pumping is the last part of it is the physiological attacks of you can't breathe, you can't uh, function, you're shaky, you're trembling. And panic attacks can vary in so many ways. I have kids walking with kind of talk with panic attacks that they can't get out of the house. And panic attacks to the extent that they get there and they're really overwhelmed and they're shaking and they just cannot, uh, they're so dissociated with the whole environment. And that's where I come in, in terms of treatment and I'm, I'm not going to talk a lot more about this, but so I'm just going to touch base with it and we can, if y'all have any questions, we can go back. So when people come with that kind of dysfunctionality and see me, there are so many treatment options. One treatment option is medication. Uh, there's so many variations in that. People often kind of have this myth that if you get on medication, then you're on medication for life. No, my job is really to kind of get you through that, and my ultimate goal is for you to get off the medication. Um, the second part is therapy. Uh, really being able to find space which is very neutral, um, 
therapist who's not related to mom or dad or having personal agenda kind of, you know, because we all come from that point of we want to help our child, but we all have our own opinions about it. So having a third person to do the therapy or the third part is medication and therapy. Um, so often they say research-wise medication and therapy going together is the best way to go. Uh, in terms of um, medications, there are a lot of options. Often for anxiety medications, this is antidepressants. Um, they do come with a black box warning of increased suicidal ideation, which gets hyped up a lot. People talk about it all the time. But I really want you all to know that of the research that they did, a thousand people, 14 people picked up a pencil or something little small and scratched themselves. Didn't even make any suicide attempt, seriously suicide attempt, or had a suicide. But because it's so uh, obvious and it, put, it got put on the box as black box warning, that's not common. It's pretty controversial, but I just have to do that education part. So the antidepressants um, are the treatment for anxiety too. And um, when I say antidepressants, they've taken about, on an average, I say six months, people have to take it for six months. And if you have a strong family history, a higher rate of relapse and for two years. But on an average, when somebody comes in and has really anxiety to the point that they're having panic attacks and not functioning, we consider medication. And uh, that's what we do. And the medication takes about two weeks before it starts working, about four to six weeks before you can see more action. But you can the other option of all the antidepressants, long antidepressants, is other medications like Benadryl, Bestrel, Hydroxyzine, which we often use. Um, I don't use any of those addictive dependent medications like benzodiazepines. And I will never talk about CBD oil here because I don't have enough evidence and I get that every day lately. Uh, can I give my child CBD oil? And I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. Um, they, I certainly know that they are propagating that it doesn't have the addiction component for it, but certainly there is the addiction component involved in the production of that CBD oil. But I don't have enough evidence to speak either way on it. So, and I, I don't have these for you, sorry. But that's another thing people have been asking. But the other part is Vistral and Hydroxyzine are two other medications that I use a lot. And then uh, we do sleep aids. Uh, and I won't get there with um, how to kind of get to the treatment part. But these are the things that we can talk in our office as we come by and we get to the point of dysfunctionality. But beyond that, when it comes to performance anxiety, let's talk about how we're doing things um, on a daily basis. One is sleep. I can't tell you enough about sleep. Uh, I, all my life I've lived with a smith. If I spare my sleep of, at 10 is when I kind of get up doing all my Stuff. My, my doctor chores, and I say, hey, myself, if I can spend another two hours, I can achieve so much more by preparing for this project or doing this. But lately, I've really challenged myself. Um, Ariana Huffington Post, Adriana Huffington from Huffington Post, has really kind of started this organization called Thrive, and she sells, and I wish I could sell that in packets to people now, but especially in social media and the all of that. So, sleep's going to be a mechanics that. To get things without getting that good sleep, and I, when I say good sleep, is seven to eight hours, um, and treating sleep almost like a religion and ritualistic, and that's something that I want to sell to teenagers because it's something that we can kind of work towards on a long term, out of um, you know just being an adult, growing up, having good sleep patterns, having sleep hygiene, and how much of this is sort of release of stress hormones. Psychiatry so far and data to talk about actually. Uh, we're always a stepdaughter of medicine. We don't get all that attention because we don't make so much of money for most medicine people. So like, there's so much less research out in psychiatry. But honestly, if we could study sleep more and understand, sleep's going to be a big conflict. And that sleep's really um, for you, not just for the chest, but 
eating overall. Uh, and then eating, of course, with healthy eating. Uh, uh, we all know that is whole new things about tryptophans and how to eat better and healthy and intuitive eating and all of that. I can go so much into it. But the fact that uh, lots of kids stop eating and um, they haven't researched this, but this, this percentage of body weight for each of us, where there's almost like an automatic switch button where you start thinking clearer, you're better, you're inside eating less. They haven't come up with a number, but an average is done is 85% of your BMI. Uh, if you're less than that, then your thinking process is a little slow. And this is more of research done on eating disorder kids and studying. The minute we kind of keep treating the eating disorder kid, because the biggest component would be uh, eating disorder itself is an anxiety disorder. It just presents, it's all about the one thing I can control because I'm anxious is my body, my weight, and my appearance. Uh, so really understanding from that perspective, they, they haven't pinpoint the number, but almost 85% of your BMI is where they feel like that's where the big change of um, thinking comes in. So really kind of watching for eating healthy and not sort of fighting. The other part is lots of other, um, you know, all athletes talk about the inner game. All, you know, it's a big thing about um, coaching and all of that stuff. And that inner game is really resilience towards understanding. Some kids are made to understand some of these things. Some kids really kind of do, but some kids aren't. And how do we create that um, you know, the And I think as, um, you know, as schools grow, I think we have all of these people. kids, I mean, counselors are there, they do. Best like I have to say, does an awesome job. I take care of kids from Lhasa, I take kids from Lake Travis, I take kids from OE, Westwood, everywhere, but I have to tell, we are fortunate that we really have one of the best um, team in terms of psychiatry and mental health care at Westlake. So thank you, Chris. You all do a great job in terms of giving them the support, giving things. But but that's a very small company. Parents are a big part of that creating inner resilience. And, um, and when I talk about inner resilience, I often say it. when they study resilience and they found that um, kids with trauma, and again, I'm kind of talking about larger studies, uh, in companies are talking about larger studies, so to give you a bigger picture. Is, uh, they looked at the kids with trauma, abuse, um, who have done really well in their life. What was that one company that created them to have all of these not such great things in life and be able to do the supportive person in their life? And one supportive neutral person who sort of says, it's okay, it's going to be fine. And that has brought them to do well in their life. And that and creating that resilience in their kid. Um, as parents, we all have our own projectors. Um, if my kid gets a 90, not even a hundred, but gets a ninety. Uh, next thing in my mind, which is my negative thing, you're gonna fail and you're gonna be the janitor in life. And that's all it's gonna be. Because and that's you know we're trained uh, mentally to say that your scores and your grades are to do with how well you do in life. That's all we have been trained that if you do well and uh, and we are in a group of people here in this sort of ISD, I have to say, where we're all high functioning, type A doing well people to kind of have made it into the school district in some ways and we live off this myth that if we do well we've done well because we've done well by stressing about things we've done well because we really have to work hard and uh, our grades are good and that's what we're doing and i think that's where education system should change in a lot of ways that's a whole different talk about something but a, a gp of 2.9 seems to focus with that gp to better in life than people with 3.5 and about on an average. So, and and then that is a whole different definition of quality of life, right? Maybe making a lot of money or 
levels of happiness, levels of stress, and levels of satisfaction, and those kind of things. So, so for us to really understand is that going back to the fact that how do we create that resilience? Because we are so um, personally motiv uh, motivated to tell our kids that if you don't stress, you're not doing well. Because that's how we think. And parenting is just the way we are. We train them, that's why we don't, we don't have the other goals to kind of challenge. So really creating that um, sort of understanding, and that's where the some kind of therapist comes in, life coach, I kind of use some of that life coach word for kids who don't want to go into therapies. Probably something can really, you can talk about their life. So, so really kind of being that neutral person, which is so hard, right? Because we haven't challenged our own things about what success means uh, and working through that. Um, and then I think along with sleep, eating, exercising, again, I kind of stop when people have to go out and do physical activity, uh, building up things. Um, you know, yoga is the top thing we all talk about meditation, so hard for a teenager. For me to sell yoga to a teenager, where I sort of use a therapist to kind of bring in and talk about visual meditation. Um, visual meditation it would be really finding a happy place. Um, uh, sort of saying to yourself that um, when you're stressed, what does that look like? Um, and we all need to have visual meditation to the point that we all have a happy place to go. And I'm going to say my happy place would be. This big, I have it in my mind, and, I, and you really have to walk around. And I'm, and I'm talking about all these things just for yourselves and for your kids to kind of be educated about it. It's funny, for me, it's this pond, and I have a little swing there, and I sit on it. And for me, I take myself there as I close my eyes. It's really a five minutes exercise where I close myself, I walk through this down, and it, it, you, have, you make that image yourself. For me, it's walking through this dark stairs, and I open the door, and out there's a lot of green with a little pond, and I have my swing there, and I sit on it. And I, I calm myself down. Closing my eyes and taking myself there. And it. It's amazing how much I pull out on the college serotonin is released by using some of these things and really getting your kids to work on these things and uh, working through some of those uh, techniques to work on. Which, the other which part that I talk about the performance anxiety in kids who are uh, at music performances and it's interesting how some of some of most of my kids who are really high functioning are at cheer national chef can perform in front of millions of people. But when it comes to going to uh, their own cafeteria, it's hard for them to do it. And where does that come from? Is because they can black out and dissociate. There are really people who can perform at uh, impromptu speakers, people who can perform at debates. And I have quite a few of those and perform at your meeting, but cannot go to their own cafeteria and eat lunch. And that's where I really talk about for them to build up these kind of visual meditation. And I often say pebble in the pocket, put a little stone, have that feeling, and be all, there's enough out there to read and find, and really working with your child to find some of those things. <coughs> pebble, feeling the aid. And then the other one I talk about is the four elements of, uh, from a vacation perspective, is the four elements, really feeling the air when you breathe through your nose, uh, and standing firm, so feeling the ground, uh, and then sort of feeling the heat in your body, uh, and then swallowing saliva, all the cold water, use air. So, so kind of getting your kids to practice some of this. And I'm talking about practicing the resilience, practicing this kind of meditation, practicing uh, pebble in the stone, or even these kind of four elements uh, by doing it before you get to performance anxiety. So I, I like to somebody to volunteer and talk to me about their experience about what performance anxiety for their kids looks like when they really are at the exams. For me, when kids in elementary school come to me and say I have anxiety, I often talk about it as, uh, from a psychological development point of view. Is 
socialist team is related to anxiety in elementary school. So when you're uh, often people come in and say, "Oh, my kid is doing fine in elementary school," so pulling started and affected his self-esteem. That's usually not true. The self-esteem part is like writing a cycle in elementary school. If you don't think your your self-esteem is coming from the fact of how you're doing in elementary school and not from elementary school, so you, you really learn to write a cycle in elementary school. So that, and I think that's that's the part that we kind of work with, the breaking down uh, that thought process. But that comes from so much more negative uh, distortions. And uh, what those negative distortions mean is, if I go talk to, and I'm going to just, I may be wrong at it. I'm going to use him to kind of explain some of those things. Is really going. Uh, walking up to somebody, but I do talk to this person, this person is think I'm not smart, I'm not good enough, and and this, I'm going to be surprised. I'm going to go back to talking about an eating disorder. I see she looks at a piece of cake, and the first thing that we say, I'm going to gain 10 pounds if I eat that piece of cake, which is so far from the fact that a piece of cake is never going to gain so much pounds, but, but in their mind, there's so much more. I see they think I'm going to be able to be confident. Really kind of challenging and breaking down some of those Cognitive behavioral. There's a book called Mind Over Mood. Um, it's on Amazon. It's, it's a really nice book which sort of breaks down um, some of those thought processes because it's, I've been asking folks to do this book as a family because it's a workbook and it really kind of challenges um, that self esteem issue. Oh, it's interesting how you think uh, you're not getting that, but you're scoring so well at school and having great. Oh, but that's not really that. And then I'm like, you've got so many friends and so many people like you. So statistically, really challenging, accepting what they're saying, but challenging them stepwise and just saying, hey, what does that mean to uh, you? And breaking down those negative distortions. Um, and this is why it needs to start at elementary school level, because that's where we sort of see. The other part I also like is um, Brene Brown. She really is an awesome author. She comes down, she's a... Therapist down from Houston. She comes down here and does a lot of talks, and she's got three books. The best for Jesus is Gifts of Imperfection. Um, and she really talks about uh, shame. Shame in so many ways. And I, I have learned so much from her myself in terms of how do you define shame? What is it to be, uh, you know, say I have shame and building that shame resilience. And that's the that lesson. If I go talk up to you, I'm not smart. And, and what if you're not smart? That's not allowed in that community. That's not allowed to talk about what if okay, this was not right. What if failure is okay? And I think whatever failure is being treated as um, something else. And then I just Julia was here and I was talking to her. I have kids who come into me and talk about shame in a way, way, which is uh, I she scored okay, but she walks into the hall and then her friends are freaking out because they got a hundred and five and not hundred and ten. And then that just creates a whole different shame in it. So she's she's working. So we, I think, on a larger scale, we need to work on our culture of one bias great. Mm-hmm. And she had scored a ninety, and she, I had worked so hard for her to feel good about it. And then she said, "I I used all the tools that I learned, and I walked in the hall, and there was this kid who was so sad and upset that she got one of five, that it made me feel shameful that I was happy at ninety. And I think that, and then that sort of building up and understanding." Mm-hmm. You have to do your own tools. And then I have to sit down and talk to the kid and say, what is one of five? What is one of five for her? And what is one of five to you? And then I have to hold the study about, you know, really, when you look at some large scale, we've forgotten to see things in the bigger picture. Uh, what does, and I I have lots of kids who are in classes watching me and say, oh, I, 
am type A and I want you to function back like a type A, but can you function without stressing out? And there's so many shortcuts to those things. And I think we never talk about those shortcuts in parents or providers. We, we want to fix instead of saying, what if? And I think that's where the shame, resilience, and the gifts of compression that Ben John really talks about and uh, talks about how we kind of work through some of those things. And um, and I think uh, part of some of this is really the day of test. Uh, finding out how that, you know, uh, comes from the fact that here I am, I have a day of test. Let's not talk about the day of test. Let a week before, let's sort of say, we're done with it. If you have created that inner toughness, resilience, and discipline, when well, there's a lot of procrastination, there's a lot of anxiety also comes from the fact that you procrastinated, you left everything, and then you kind of create this chaos. And limiting some of that anxiety things. So a week before, I just say it's over now. It's really over, just enjoy it. And I think that's a fact. If your kids are UIL, uh, we started talking about uh, shall we do fun and have fun, enjoy it, and then start talking about really, hey, when you're done with UIL, we're going to go out for dinner tomorrow, and we're going to do this. Because then you start creating that positive environment of saying, how do we really kind of future predicting? And they've done a lot of this uh, in terms of they've started disasters, and we all know that. We have so much of disaster preparation and stuff. Um, but they've really studied with people who do to do this. And this is all sort of non-medical stuff that I really wanted to talk about is I didn't believe in to do this, but to do this have been studied and research and said people make to do this, they do better. People visualize their failures and visualize their success, they do better. And I think that part of visualization that our kids have learned is trying to think what if you fail and what will it look like? And having that conversation because half of the time the biggest struggle I have is being explicit with your emotions. Kids have struggle being I don't know is their favorite word. And I'm like, you know, we just need to talk about it. And what does that feel like? And then in terms of anxiety, I often say embracing some of that. Uh, really kind of saying it's okay to be anxious. And recognizing it and identifying it. Identifying it outside of you. That's another struggle that we do at CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. Really recognizing it, but also identifying it outside of you and not part of you. Um, you know, because often, this is me, I'm going to be anxious, and I'm going to be worried about this. No, 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 this is not you. This is outside of you. It's just something that you're kind of taking the ownership of it, and can you let it go? And if you have it, it's okay to have it. Like, it's okay to feel overwhelmed. And that instead of, half of the time, kids are worried about they're going to have a panic attack. And I'm like, but you're worried about something that you can't be worried about. So, so I think that's really sort of saying, okay, what if you have a panic attack? Kind of sit with it and work with it, and, and that's where I kind of come up with things like hydroxyzine or Benadryl and stuff because that helps with sleep, um, makes you tired, so you, your body needs that rest, and you sleep away and you wake up. It does not treat the anxiety, but it kind of takes you not too down and kind of takes you some of that anxiety in some ways. Um, but yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy is the biggest part of um, just there's so much online stuff on it uh, to work on. How do you kind of understand your child and say? Uh, because and then once I say that the parents say oh he's just like me this is what I did and I want him to do exactly what I do for my anxiety doesn't work that way they have been different they're working in different ways thank you for joining us if you're interested in the archive video recording of this session and any corresponding handouts or resources please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com <laughs>